How didn't this get made? What the bloody f is that? That's likely what you're thinking. Well, the answer's simple. How didn't this get made is the show that used to be called Development Hell. Sorry for confusing everyone, but basically what's happened is I foolishly used the name for two podcast projects, not expecting the other to go anywhere, and now it's in development for iHeartRadio. So look out for the other show called Development Hell, and continue listening to and enjoying How Didn't This Get Made? That's this one, the one with me and Connor. Yep, I'm afraid it's that disclaimer. We are still dealing with the early batch of episodes recorded where Connor's audio was a bit crap. Sorry about that. This is the last one before it improves a little bit. Of course, despite the name change, the show is still all about development hell, and therefore we are still going to be talking all about going to development hell and all that. I mean, basically, I couldn't be bothered changing the name in the body of the show. Enjoy! Hello, you are listening to How Didn't This Get Made? The new podcast about films that got stuck in development hell. That's films that didn't get made. Uh, there's a lot of them. Hollywood's always trying to make films. And uh, even more than that, start production and then don't actually get all the way through. I am Sol Harris, one of your two hosts today. The other is Mr. Connor Murray. Uh, yeah, my name is Connor Murray. I'm a former fighter pilot and uh, columnist for The Guardian. And it's great It's great to be here for uh, for development hell. Thanks, Sol. No problem, no problem. This is, of course, the age of disinformation. There's a theme running through the show so far. Um, so yeah, we, we, that's what we do. We, we, we are two film fans. We've studied film. We've worked in film. You worked on Game of Thrones, didn't you, Connor? That's the biggest claim to fame of my whole life. <laughs> I think anytime I tell people I work in Game of Thrones, their jaw drops. It's great. It's nice being able to say that. But yeah, I was um, uncredited, by the way. I'm not going to be on any credits roll. But uh, I was lower than a runner, like a third AD uh, production assistant. So basically, I got I got coffee and tea for some of the big names a couple of times. Stop traffic going on and off set. That's how you hear the, the biggest, juiciest secrets, though, is getting the tea for the important people. It was just unbelievable. That, that just really blew my mind. And you were, of course, working on the show back when it was still good. Mm-hmm before they threw literally everything that they had <laughs> to waste in the most spectacular way possible. But but we're not here to talk about uh, Game of Thrones or 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 other other I'm rewatching Breaking Bad at the moment and it's very good, but that that's irrelevant. We're talking about films that never got made. You know the way there like there's all the stars in the night sky, right? But they yeah. reckon there are so many more stars that you can't see that the universe is unimaginably yeah. big. Do you think that's yeah. the same with Hollywood films? Yes. There are so many more films that weren't made than there are made. It's like the surface of a of an iceberg. Nine-tenths of it, the iceberg, it's underwater, you can't see it. Yeah, it's like the deep web. <laughs> yeah. There's more internet than you can't see than there is internet than you can see. One of these uh, films, one of these deep web. So yeah, you're reaching down into the dark deep web. We're, we've got Toron, we've got Siphon, I'm using the VPN. We are using this to explore 
Kaleidoscope. Uh, Kaleidoscope was an on was an unmade film uh, by which director? Who do you think? Who do you think was going to direct this one? Okay, so this is pretty much where my knowledge on Kaleidoscope begins and ends. But I believe it was director Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, it was done by Alfred Hitchcock. And I okay, I, I'm not an authority on Alfred Hitchcock by any means. It's um he's someone who I appreciate more for like a, a historical context. Yeah. I can't say I'm a fan, but I appreciate, you know, all really? his stuff and what I did. Oh, I, I, I love the uh, Hitchcock that I've seen for the most part. Oh yeah. I've not seen a yeah, lot. Yeah, absolutely. Like I can see that they're objectively like great films and stuff, but you know, I wouldn't be like a fan. You know, it, it doesn't go more than that than an objective appreciation. When I started uh, going into the deep web on Kaleidoscope, um I, I kind of fell in love with this film that never got made not just for the subject matter of it but um but of what it could have represented for hitchcock if it did get made okay mm. because it was going to be completely different from any other film that hitchcock ever made vastly different violently different right it was supposed okay. to go into production into 1967 and universal had said no absolutely not that is disgusting that is despicable that is vile something this tormented should not get made hitchcock what the hell is wrong with you and you know this is hitchcock you know like the the master of you know like tasteful perversion and gr grim subject matter you know he's the reason we're allowed to show toilets on movies now uh, psycho was the first film to show a toilet flushing i believe not a toilet, <laughs> okay. a toilet flushing he did all that stuff but he did it with a touch of class yeah so it was about a a, a killer and the plot okay. in some ways so so what what year was this can i ask 1967 it's post psycho yeah psycho's 1960 is that right yeah it's after marnie and torn curtain and it's before frenzy it's it's in between them so it's a, so marnie was 1964 i think how was he approaching this in relation to psycho was it like a a, a spiritual sequel like follow up to psycho or it focuses on a lone serial killer with mother issues and uh who you know goes around killing people with a like sort of a sexual element to them so you know there's echoes of psycho there and i yeah. think that's very on purpose because what he wanted to do was a very different uh filming style the killer had this uh psychological element of insanity linked to water and basically anytime he saw water or was near water it would cause him to freak out and do like a horrific rip murder and possible uh, necrophilia action on the dead body as well. right and it was going to be based on real life english serial killers neville heath and george excuse me john hay and the main right. character was uh, like a combination of them w would i have heard of those serial killers are they are they well known for no anything not really okay well Heath dropped out of school dropped out of the military tried to become a, like a captain but failed um and he would use his military uh, chops to to try and seduce women but right. most of them ended up just being very scared and unsettled by him and right. uh, he killed two very unfortunate women in, in relatively quick succession and one of them was particularly tragic because one lady maybe was cottoning on to who he was you know like that he was a dangerous man and wanted to leave but unfortunately yeah. like he killed her anyway so they took place in hotels one in london and then one in bournemouth and there was um like a sexual aspect to both killings right then the other one hey he seems to have a good start in life, but he was plagued by religious uh, nightmares, and apparently mm. he always had dreams of 
bloody crucifixes and stuff and real, you know, religious do domination issues there. His marriage broke down and he was ostracized by his family. That started a string of fraudulent behavior from him and that he was eventually caught and jailed for. In prison, he had the morbid epiphany of realizing that if he killed the people who reported his crimes, he wouldn't go to jail. So, you know, that's perfect sense, right? So he killed people. And this is why you might have heard of Hay. He was notable because he was the first criminal to start dissolving people in acid to get rid of the bodies. Oh, right. He killed five people and dissolved them all. Ooh. He, uh, he, practiced, he practiced on mice in prison. And right. he discovered that mice takes 30 minutes to dissolve. So there's, there's some trivia for you. Right. <laughs> if that ever comes up, you know, in conversation. You know, like uh, with your family this this Christmas and New Year time. Um, okay. So once he was released from prison for all that fraud and stuff, he killed his former employer and was dissolved into sludge. He killed his former employer's parents, uh, dissolved them too, and then a married couple and a wealthy widow. And uh, it, the reason for all of them was money. He needed money. So uh, th that's the underlying reason. And uh, they they all got dissolved by him. And uh, he tried to plead innocence because there was no body. He thought he was so smart. Yeah. He's like, okay, you can't convict me of, of murder if there's no body. But, you know, that's, right. a, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of how justice works. So, yeah, so he was caught and hanged. The character in Kaleidoscope was, it, it seemed to take this sort of cold calculating uh, aspect from Hay and the sort of sexual stuff from Heath. And uh, Hitchcock really wanted to push things with this um, because Hitchcock, okay, so he was revolutionary in his own way. You know, he was revolutionary under the classical Hollywood system of way yeah. of making films, you know, big Absolutely, sets, yeah. big productions, beautiful people, perfect lighting. And, you know, he managed to like revolutionize storytelling in that way. But the whole time uh, in the 60s, so like from Psycho onwards, you know, he's a filmmaker and a film lover. You know, he loved the French New Wave. He was friends mm. with Francois Truffaut. And uh, the Italian neorealism neo that was all kicking off. And um, yeah. he started to want to be uh, influenced by that as well. You know, what also kind of pushed him as well was that uh, Marnie and Torn Curtain, you kind of get the feeling that he felt he had peaked, you know, with things by like, you know, yeah. I mean, holy crap, just look at the filmography. It's like wrong man, vertical, north by northwest, psycho, the birds, like, yeah. And so all these things came out like bang, 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 like one after another. And then, you know, Marnie and Torn Curtain and Topaz come out. And, and it's just like, you know, things, you know, the curve starts to go down, you know? Yeah. Being the master that he is, I assume he would have been very well aware of that. So when it came to Kaleidoscope, uh, he felt the need to do something completely different. Perhaps, perhaps, this is me just speculating, but in an attempt to solidify his legacy here. It was written by Ben Levy, who he had previously fallen out with, but they reunited to make this. Why, why they fallen out? Uh, it, I it was quite a while ago. I think there was like a 30-year gap between them. Hitchcock, you know, reached out to him, you know, built the bridge again. And yeah, apparently yeah. Ben Levy read this, uh, excuse me, not read, wrote this shocking script about, a, about this uh, story of a sex killer who murders women near water. And then Hitchcock read this particularly gruesome script, sensed an opportunity to turn shit up to 11, and apparently he turned it right the fuck up. And it, it, it would have been seen in the, you know, like French New Wave uh, style, you know, like handheld camera, you know, person being in the yeah. room, very subjective stuff. So that's what was going to be different, you know, not implied, but seen.
Hey, if you like How Didn't This Get Made, you might like this other show, Diminishing Returns, where I and another guy called Alan Turing take a guest on a weekly trip to development hell, not this show, the actual thing, to discuss a film then pitch our own ideas for the sequel. And for fans of this show, we've had Connor Murray on at least three times, probably more by the time you hear this. Diminishing Returns is available via all reputable podcast suppliers. Just search for it wherever you found this show, or head to dimreturns.com. Have you seen um, Peeping Tom, that film? No. Peeping Tom is, um, I guess it's a lot earlier than what we're talking about, because it's often cited as... Yeah, it's often cited as one of the earliest slasher movies, but, I mean, that has some very unpleasant sexual violence in it for, you know, surprisingly gruesome for 1960. Uh-huh. So is is stuff yeah. in that, like, is that, like, implied or seen, or is it graphically depicted? Um, basically, he has a camera with a, a sharpened tripod that he stabs people to death with whilst filming them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's more implicit than anything else, but you you do see some stuff that for 1960 it's like, oh god. But I think that was a very infamous film when it when it came out. They got pretty far in pre-production actually. Hitchcock basically just started to make it um without studio approval. They they had the script and right. he went using using studio money or not using studio money. Um he sent a, he sent his team out and they shot uh, about an hour's worth of test footage uh, around New York. And he hired right. a photographer called Arthur Scats or Schatz, or I must be Scats, I think. And so he really went far with the concept. You know, he really fleshed it out. Uh, you know, he had the script. And uh, in terms of actors, he didn't want any named actors. He wanted to unnamed actors. This right. was a very different direction to what he had. I mean, he had just worked with Sean Connery a couple of years before, other big names yeah. too. You know, this was a total departure. And he knew that. So he wanted to be as prepared as possible, of course, when it came to getting the big bucks from Universal. Uh, He had a full script. He had unnamed actors uh, attached and ready. He had an hour's worth of test footage and he had all these like official still photography done. And looking at this, like I was only able to find one minute of the footage online and, um, and I saw the still photographs and it looks completely different to anything Hitchcock has ever done. If I look at it now, will I will I be able to find find that footage? Yeah, if you just know? type uh, Hitchcock kaleidoscope test footage and Okay. I'm I'm gonna watch it live on the podcast. Oh, this is it. Ooh. We're in the deep web. So this is what this is what could have been. There's a fifty one second clip. Yes, that's the one. You know the way sometimes the seventies is portrayed as like a Hollywood revolution kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Where it's like they say, oh, that that's like the Hollywood new wave, you know, like yeah. uh, all those like yeah. 70s films. It looks like Hitchcock could have started that in 1967. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it looks, I mean, it looks very 60s. It's color. I always think of Hitchcock being uh, black and white, but uh, it's a woman, a blonde 1960s woman being handed a cigarette and a cup of something. Now there's a kind of, I mean, in this low res, uh, footage it looks a bit like adam driver but i think it's a woman like laying on bed uh is that her nipple oh her nipple is out and she's being handed a glass of wine it looks like 
Now there's a man stood in in the foreground, quite imposingly, just uh, silhouetted against the camera. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see what you mean. It's very um, Valley of the Dolls vibes, isn't it? it? It's it's, uh, it's got that look that was made in like you know mid seventies sort of Hollywood kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, it it, it it's really calling to mind um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for me, but that's just because obviously that's <laughs> the most recent thing I've watched that's from. Or rather, set in that sort of yeah. aesthetic, Hollywood in the sixties. Yeah, like it's bringing all that to mind, but it would have come from Hitchcock. Yeah. So, so sorry. Was this was this due to be produced within Hollywood? Yeah. Well, he went to Universal for the money, and all the test footage was right. done in New York. If this had gone ahead, this would have changed shit. You know, like, and it would have like this whole the whole like seventies kind of rebirth thing would have happened yeah. way earlier, and it would have started with Hitchcock. You know, one of the studio monoliths you know and, and i mean that in a good way you know just like yeah just for the listeners just you know google hitchcock kaleidoscope test footage you'll see it for yourself it just un- looks unlike anything that hitchcock done so far yeah yeah completely. so he went in with this test footage with the still photographs presented it to universal who it seems like vomited in terror and disgust and said no <laughs> there's no way you're going to do this <laughs> so so why didn't it just because it was so controversial yeah um sadly i think it's bloody sexual violence depicted i mean hitchcock could have worked his way around that you know um, elements of necrophilia he did grim stuff anyway you know he like you said earlier he's always pushing the envelope forward anyway With, with regards to his career where did this come did he did he make films after this well this was supposed to start production in 1967 but you know like it fell through and he made Topaz, which I have not seen. Topaz came out in 1969. But apparently yeah. the true sort of next film in the sort of kaleidoscope spirit was Frenzy. Right. Elements of kaleidoscope found their way into that. And I did watch Frenzy in preparation for this. Just, my God, what if, you know, what if kaleidoscope was the last Hitchcock film? That would have been mm. such an about turn. Like, that would have changed everything. It would have been an amazing, like, thing to go out on. Yeah. yeah. That would have been. I, I do. Wow. I love it when people manage to go out on just a real, like David Bowie with Black Star. I mean, that's the obvious choice. But I mean, I'm trying to think. Have there anyone? Has there been anyone who's sort of done that? Who's achieved that? Because I was trying to think of it and I couldn't. I'm trying to think in terms of film sort of authorship. I couldn't, I couldn't yeah, think of it. Everyone's yeah. still kind of alive uh, who might be able to do that. <laughs> the sad, sorry thing is what Quentin Tarantino always points to, which is the idea that you kind of lose touch with age, and you, if you keep making films as you get older as a director, you, your quality of films tends to take a bit of a nosedive, mm-hmm. which is why Tarantino's so adamant that he's doing 10 and then he's yeah. uh, retiring. because he doesn't He's on 9 now, isn't that. he? Wasn't Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, 9? Yeah, according to however he's counting it, with Kill Bill being 1 and stuff like that. So yeah, he's got one more left, apparently. Hey, how's this for a final film? I'm, I'm looking at a list now. How's this for a director going out with a bang? Sergio Leone, Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, shit. Okay, alright. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty huge one. That's a good one, isn't it? That is a good one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to Hitchcock here, because you know the way he did his previews, he did his introductions, and it's him, and he's like, Hello, good to see you here today. <laughs> yeah. I just want to warn you, because something dreadful just happened a couple of hours ago. <laughs> you know, like, I just wonder if he still would have done that for Kaleidoscope. Those weren't in the film, though, were they? Those weird little, hello, like, introductions. Weren't they, like, trailers and things? Yeah, but they definitely set the expectation that this is a Hitchcock yeah, film, yeah. you know? 
And that's the thing, you know, if he really wanted to turn, not turn things upside down, but just push forward in a new direction, I wonder if he still would have done it for Kaleidoscope. Okay, well, that's it. Th- th- that's Kaleidoscope right. for you. Like, I'll set the scene. It's like, he's standing in like in, in a bedroom, like a bachelor's bedroom. It's it's like okay. peeling wallpaper. It, it's one of those bedrooms with like a slanted roof. You know, it's like the top floor of the house. He lives next door to his mom. You know, like he bathes his mother and looks after his mom and stuff and all that. Mm. And Hitchcock is standing in this bachelor's bedroom and there's used crusty tissues all over the floor. And Hitchcock is like, oh, I didn't expect to see you here. I'm currently standing in Brooklyn, New York. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds like Alan Rickman. <laughs> and I'm, I'm in this poor young man's bedroom. He's, he's a sick man very demented mind and i'm just going to hide inside the cupboard here because i get the feeling something something gruesome may be about to happen that that's what i think would probably happen <laughs> so why why is it called kaleidoscope um one of the possible names was kaleidoscope frenzy and uh, that's where the name for frenzy uh... actually came from in the end i don't i didn't see much on why it was called kaleidoscope actually because a lot of the themes were to does, do with water does the villain bash people over the head uh, n- no I... it, it could be like it could be like what you see when you get smacked over the head a kaleidoscope frenzy um one of the th- things is that water sets him off but does he drown maybe if he drowns someone they kind of see through the water and it's like looking through a kaleidoscope it it could be i mean well like what what do you think of when you hear kaleidoscope you hear like when you when you think of a kaleidoscope you see disjointed imagery colors symmetry colors bunch of trippy shit yeah so I think the implication is just that this person is just absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah. That, that's how this person sees the world. Has Hitchcock got any other unmade films in the trunk? Uh, I don't think he really it, has. It, has it's he? hard to see if he would have had time for them because like, all of his films are basically one year after another, sometimes two films in mm. the same year. The guy was a fucking machine, man. It's like, uh, like he, he slows down a bit in the 60s because what, like he was 60, <laughs> you know? I, 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 yeah, I wish I had more to say about it. I don't. Um, I need to watch more Hitchcock. That's my takeaway from this, is watch more Hitchcock. I really want to dip in and watch some of his early, early stuff, actually, to see what all that's like. Mm. Like the silent films. Yeah. And... My, my favourite Hitchcock is still North by Northwest. That, that's still my favourite. I think I'll go Strangers on a Train. Maybe Rear Window. The Christopher Reeves version? Uh, yeah. The definitive version with Christopher Reeves. <laughs> what a guy. Maybe we'll do maybe we'll do one of the many unmade Superman films at some point <laughs> in the future. Uh in tribute to Christopher Reeves. Uh-huh. Tim Burton's uh Superman Lives is a doozy. We'll have to do that at some um, point. Thank you once again for listening. Do come back next week when we'll be doing something else. Thanks, guys. This was fucking top. Top. Good old top podcast. Top. If you're enjoying the show, all the usual stuff, please do subscribe on your listening device of of, of choice. Uh, you're probably, statistically, listening to this on some sort of Apple device, so please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, rate and review us if you want, that'd be very appreciated, especially in these early days when we're trying to make an imprint on uh, people (laughs) trying to get some attention and if you've enjoyed this and you haven't listened to diminishing returns the other thing i do then check that out as well diminishing returns dimreturns.com okay thank you goodbye all right